Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Inside Business and Technology. I'm Kieran Hancock, finance correspondent of the Irish Times, and I'm joined in studio this week by Richie Boucher, the chief executive of Bank of Ireland. Born in Zambia to Irish parents, Richie Boucher joined Bank of Ireland in 2003 as head of corporate banking from Royal Bank of Scotland. He was appointed as chief executive of retail financial services in 2006 and became group CEO in 2009. He's the only senior banking executive of the pre-crisis era to survive as a board member of an Irish-owned bank. His annual pay of €843,000 also makes him the only senior banking executive here, earning more than the government's half a million euro cap something that attracts criticism each year. In his five years as CEO of Bank of Ireland, Richie Boucher has returned to Bank to Profit, brought high-profile international investors onto its share register and returned €6 billion to the state in return for its €4.8 billion bailout. Richie Boucher, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Kieran. Now, last month at the company's annual meeting, your chairman, Archie Kane, uh, made the point that the bank was once again profitable and generating capital. Can you put a bit of uh, flesh on the bones uh, for us around that? How much profit is Bank of Ireland likely to make this year? Well, um, I, I wouldn't be permitted to actually give a, a, a profit forecast, uh, uh, Kieran, but like the the analyst community who we watch, and I think one of the things that's uh, reflective of uh, where both the bank and Ireland have come three years ago, we would have been followed by three uh, analysts now we have 15 and they are predicting us moving a uh, significant profit in the current year um, if we look at you know what's happened is it's uh, four and a half five years of uh, restructuring um, reducing our cost base uh, right sizing the balance sheet raising capital getting support from the taxpayer repaying the taxpayer in that period and I think the gratifying thing is you know you're you're, you're starting to see that come through in the financial numbers in um, what we try and help investors with is uh, in our uh, presentations is we show the progression half year from half year. And mm. um, if we look at um, uh, the half year to um, uh, uh, the end of 2013, uh, the second half of 2013, again, our net interest margin was improving. Our costs were coming down a bit further and very significantly non-performing loans reduced by about $1.2 billion. And therefore, for the full half year, we uh, the loss was $186 million underlying and um, we have confirmed that we are uh, uh, from the 1st of January are in profit and uh, generating profit. capital. And, and just to be clear, the profit for the year will be a real profit. It's not a profit before any provisioning or before a bank no, levy or any exceptional uh, items? Uh, that's our anticipation. You know, um, you, one can never be complacent. But if when we say profit, it is a profit. I mean, you always have, uh, we always try and guide 
our uh, everyone, in, but in, and most particularly the market and investors, by what we describe as the underlying profit, because you can have exceptional items of uh, mm. of benefit. So, for example, uh, you know we would uh, the uh, agreement we have reached with our staff uh, uh, on uh, changes to their pension benefits would have brought a capital benefit to the bank. We don't show that as um, uh, we show that uh, as non-core profit. Sure. And then you can have other things. If your um, if your debt moves in the marketplace, we know one of the th things is that uh, you can get. Thing. I think the most critical thing is for people, for investors in the company in particular. You know, what do they think is the underlying trajectory? You know, normalizing things. There's always going to be abnormal stuff, sure. but we try and keep it as much clari uh, clarity on that. <laughs> so we would anticipate we are generating a, 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 a an underlying profit this year. Uh, we are generating capital. And I think the importance why we also say generating capital is that is we are generating capital after paying, for example, the uh, uh, dividend on the preference shares. Okay, so that's that, private investors. That's that's correct. Right. Okay, um, and that's effectively an interest rate. It's not a dividend as such, is it? Uh, it's it's because it's it's because uh, the preference shares are capital. Okay. Uh, uh, from an accounting convention point of view, okay. it, it is a, a, a dividend, yeah. Now, some of your customers might argue that this profit is coming at their expense, if you like, because we've seen increases in bank fees and various charges over the last uh, number of years since the crash in 2008. And uh, interest rates uh, are at ECB level, they're only 0.25%. That's a quarter of 1%. Mm. And yet, your standard variable rate, for example, uh, and you wouldn't be out of line with your competitors here, is about four and a half percent. That's a very, that's a very good margin um, to have on mortgages, isn't it? Well, I'd be the happiest man in Ireland if uh, the cost of money to the bank was a quarter percent. Uh, what is the cost? Um, if we look at it, um, uh, around about 125, 140 basis points uh, is the total cost of money. If we look at the bank's net interest margin, so the bank's net interest margin, which is the difference between um, what we pay, for example, for um, uh, uh, term debt, mm. uh, for um, uh, uh, non-interest bearing current accounts, deposit accounts, etc., and the, the money we gather in our retail deposit business in, in Ireland, our corporate deposits, etc. But all in all, and then the margin we charge is 2%. So it, it leaves a relatively low margin for error. Um, I think That's good against your European peers, no? Um, I think different banks are at different stages in the recovery. I think any analysis that we do in terms of cost of credit, uh, uh, SME loans, uh, etc., I think uh, uh, Irish rates probably are still slightly below European rates and quite a lot below, for example, United States and UK rates. Um, but, you know, where, where we have is the, 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 the margin progression that has come in the past, um, and we try and again demonstrate that to investors in our presentations, the margin progression uh, that we've achieved in the last uh, 12 months, where we moved from 1.25% uh, 1, 1 in 2012 to where we are today, is primarily about reducing the cost of money to the bank. And that includes, for example, uh, the lower cost of issuance in the wholesale markets. We did a senior unsecured uh, issuance um, uh, the week before last, and that cost us nearly 100 basis points cheaper than there. Um, mm. From a customer perspective, I can understand how the customers think, but... Fees and charges have gone up, haven't they? They have, um, and uh, I think it's... Um, and free banking has gone now. I, I'm never sure there was such a thing as free banking. Uh, you know, it has to be paid for some way. Um, and, uh, but aren't Permanent TSB and some of your other competitors, aren't they offering a free banking product? Uh, well, there are certain criteria. Um, 
you know, uh, we believe that for a bank to be sustainable, to be able to continue to provide products to the customers in the longer term to generate the capital to enable us lend, uh, you have to be, um, your, your products have to be sustainable. I think what we have actually seen, if we look at the other parts of the retail market, people with the unsustainable business models have exited the market. Customers are left stranded or looking, scrambling for another provider. We are, we will be, we've been in this market over 200 years, we'll be for another 200 years. Our products have to be sustainable. Yeah. So, for example, if we do charge fees and, you know, everyone has a different perception, we would feel that they're relatively modest. The most important thing is if we charge a fee, the customer must get the service they expect. And we're investing, even though, for example, we have cut our cost base by 500 million, that's nearly 30%. That's over the past six years. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we've been investing heavily, investing heavily mm. in IT systems, in a branch network, training our staff. Sure. And that does cost money. Now, many of your personal customers are in financial arrears with their mortgages and, and other loans and so on. Last week, um, Bank of Ireland was criticised by Lorcan O'Connor, the head of the insolvency service in Ireland, um, for your attitude towards uh, people in arrears, um, saying that you were playing hardball and that um, uh, you were taking a different tack in terms of debt forgiveness and that this wasn't helpful to the overall recovery. What would you say to that criticism? Well, I think sometimes if you, you can look at things and you just say you look at one one issue in isolation, um, uh, I mean, uh, in the first instance, where is Bank of Ireland regarding its mortgage book hmm. as, as regards the industry? Like our arrears profile uh, against the industry as a whole, we're at 50%. Uh, we have confirmed to the market that our um, uh, um, the uh, level of defaulting customers has fallen. So the number of customers who are moving into arrears has has uh, reduced, and the absolute number of customers has reduced. We look at uh, when a customer comes and engages with us, either prior to their going into arrears, but have identified financial issues, or uh, when they are in arrears. In nine out of ten of those but, cases, we offer a solution. But you are taking a, a harder tack, aren't you, in terms of debt forgiveness? You've 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 more or less ruled it out, haven't you? Well, we have to take into account that we have responsibilities. If we look at our book, for example, with nine out of ten of our customers are fully meeting their commitments. Uh, of the balance, another four percent are in restructures. Mm. Uh, so forty percent of the balance are in restructure uh, uh, or in overpay. Another one percent is early arrears. Um, if we didn't manage our business, take into consideration all the, com- the comprehensive range of issues we have to deal with, we couldn't return the bank to profitability. We couldn't have repaid the taxpayer. We don't have the capital to invest in our business and go forward. But AIB is offering debt forgiveness. I mean, we've seen some recent examples of that in uh, various newspaper reports, uh, etc. And AIB is of a similar scale to Bank of Ireland. Why are they able to offer um, this kind of debt forgiveness, but Bank of Ireland won't? Well, I can only really speak for, for our book. Um, you know, we have been one of the reasons why we've been able to... Uh, to make the progress, even if we, 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 we stick to the narrow area of mortgage arrears, is because we have been consistent. You know, our policies are consistent, our policies are transparent, they are clear, I am sure, and I know that, uh, you know, that's not to everyone's taste if they if they focus in that area. But then again, like, you know, if from an, you know, how does the debt forgiveness arrive in AIB? Is there transparency? Is it some kind of a lottery that, you know, names are pulled out of a hat every morning? I don't know. Well, it's through this pilot scheme, primarily through this pilot scheme, they're operating with the Irish Mortgage Holders Association, mm-hmm. something that you've decided not to do. Well, we think that uh, the collection of uh, uh, of uh, mortgage arrears and collection of money should be a core competency in a bank that employs over 11,000 people. Um, 
We but you're also taking a different tack, aren't you, on um, split mortgages and the warehouse portion portion of those loans. You're charging an interest rate on that, whereas AIB and most of your other competitors aren't. Why are you taking a different um, again, stance on that? We look at we look at our book profile. We look at the uh, responsibilities we have to all of our stakeholders. We look at nine out of ten of our customers are fully meeting. We've restructured. And the restructures are also taking not just the split mortgage, but all the other restructures. 86% of our restructures are sticking. So it, it is working. Uh, an interest rate concession, so we have capped the vast, vast bulk of our mortgages in arrears, or tracker mortgages anyway. So, uh, 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 but every concession means someone has to pay. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to be generous with other people's money. You know, we have responsibilities to uh, the people who are meeting their mortgages, to our depositors, to the providers of capital, and ultimately we have pay, we've ensured we pay back the, the taxpayer, and the taxpayer still has an investment of over 14% in Bank of Ireland. How many repossessions do you think Bank of Ireland will do this year? We don't have a target for repossessions. We've targets for restructures. But inevitably there will be repossessions. If we look, um, uh, you know, I think, um, I think there is some... Sometimes there's a focus, like there's inevitability, people kind of maybe extrapolate as something goes into a, uh, a legal process. But we often find that the commencement of a legal process gets re-engagement with customers and our desire is to restructure. A restructure must be sustainable from our perspective. Uh, you know, um, it, it's, we're wasting our time, we're wasting our customers' time if we can't restructure. But also as a public company, the market looks very closely. Uh, are you kicking that can down the road or are the restructures sticking, i.e. is there a redefault rate? For us, it's relatively low. So is your policy in this area is it being driven by international investors and what the stock market expects or is it being driven by kind of good governance, if you like, of a mortgage book? You can never please the market as a whole. If, if you ran a business on, you know, what are you going to please the market about? You know, the, the market will move at different times and focus on different issues. What we think is, you know, is it commercially sensible? You know, are we being fair to everyone? You know, people can isolate an individual instance, but we have to take into account. If you know, like I said, we go back nine out of ten of our customers are fully meeting their mortgage repayments. Is uh, is it easy for those customers? I'm sure for a lot of them they are struggling to meet their mm -hmm. mortgage, but they're meeting them. We then, when people engage with us, you know, we we can restructure. Like nine out of ten people who come to us sit down with an SFS, we can restructure. Sometimes people don't, f I could say, you know, people say, you know, can we be let off our mortgage? I'm sure everyone would like that. Um, yeah. And, and what happens in a situation, Richie, where somebody hands back the keys or there's a voluntary um, a voluntary sale involved? There's always a residual debt there. What happens to that then? I mean, is, is Bank of Ireland going to expect that person we, to pay back that we debt? We would expect an arrangement to be entered regarding the original, uh, the uh, residual debt. Even though they've no means, um, well, it, it, it depends on the person's means. So we look mm -hmm. at it on a case by case basis. But the mortgage, it, it's it's important to understand a mortgage is a loan to a person. You know, it happens to be secured by a, on a property. Um, you know, property prices will fluctuate up and down over a period of time. Those property prices will change. But we do expect that to come to some arrangement as to how the residual is going to be looked after. But is it not just more realistic to expect that whatever sum of money you can get for the sale of the property, um, you put that off against the debt that's due by the person who can't afford this mortgage any longer, that it's simply not realistic to, spec to expect that person to move out of the property and also have to pay the debt into the long term. Well, again, if we look at the progress we've made 
uh, you know, how we, we are not saying oh, the way we do mm. things is perfect, but we do say what's the track record, you know, are we delivering in terms of uh, our arrears profile, are the arrears coming down, are we able to restructure and are the restructure sticking. So you, you can't have an entire policy, uh, whether you run a bank, whether you run a, and any other type of company, whether you run a government or whatever, which is based on uh, you know a number of small examples. You have to have a policy which reflects what you think is in the best interest of all of the stakeholders you serve, and it's not just our shareholders. Sure, you know our shareholders do not. Our shareholders are investing for uh, a franchise in a bank over a longer term. So how we deal with these issues, how we how we how we work with customers, how we deal with those issues, is an important part of our franchise. And our shareholders understand mm. that uh, uh, you cannot. I think in the one of the problems I think coming into the financial crisis was companies etc. running their businesses on the basis yeah. of their perception of what the market wanted, or short term. You have to run a business in the longer term, and that means taking t- yeah. difficult, tough decisions. But you see, some people might argue that it's one rule for corporates. Um, who can have debt written off, and it's another rule for personal customers. Well, who it seems can't in have a, their in a corporate cases. Uh, we would off. Uh, what we would often have is a debt for equity conversion. Clearly, uh, you can't have equity in a person. Right. Okay. Well, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. How long do you think it'll take to sort out this mortgage crisis once, once and for all? <laughs> um, I think you do. One needs to. There is a significant issue. You know, crisis can uh, have different connotations. Um, if we have a look at our, you know, we have a, a, a mortgage book in the UK, which is the same size as we have mm. in Ireland. Uh, we That mortgage book is a, is a good performing book. It's performing. But you have customers who, for a variety of different reasons. How many repossessions would you have each year in the UK? Uh, we could have up to five to 600 in the UK. Should we expect that this year, let's say, in Ireland? Uh, I would be surprised in Ireland. Right. So, what kind of level do you think? I mean, in, just in based the UK, on you know, I should just mention, you know, there's a different nature of books, so you can't exactly extrapolate. But, uh, you know, dealing with challenged mortgages uh, is a, is and challenged customers is a normal part of business. Obviously, the issues in Ireland uh, are different. for us are less than the industry, but are still significant. I think any of types of these situations, if one looks at experience, uh, one looks at what happens in other markets, it will take quite a while to work through. I think the most important thing uh, is if we look at the industry as a whole, and in particular, you know, for, for that which I'm responsible as Bank of Ireland, uh, is substantial and significant progress. First of all, the number of customers defaulting, i.e. Uh, the problem uh, getting bigger, has stopped. Hmm. Uh, you know, we will always have some customers defaulting, but the, 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 the pace of customers defaulting has slowed down quite considerably. Then we look at, so, the, the the issue is kind of size to a certain extent, and then how do you work mm. with those customers and those challenge portfolios? But in terms of repossessions, are, are we talking probably in the hundreds in Ireland? I, I, I don't for want Bank to. Bank of Ireland. Care, no, it, it, uh, it would yeah. be. I can't throw out a figure, but the number will increase. There's inevitability about it. But our desire is to restructure, and how restructures work. Now, on a different note, in an interview you did with the Irish Times newspaper back in January, you said that the bank intended to lend out, in brand new lending, €33 billion Euro mm. out to the end of um, 2017. Mm. How are you going to achieve that? What areas are you going to target? Because a lot of customers, SME customers, personal customers, etc., would say that it's it's very, very difficult to get credit at the minute. 
Um, first of all, the 33 billion, yes, it is. Uh, you know, we, we've put it out. It's a target. It's ambitious. Um, we hope we get there. We've thought about how we get there. We've tried to demonstrate in our in investor presentations that it is a mix. There'll be a mix between uh, mortgage is um, uh, consumer loans, uh, uh, corporate loans, uh, business loans, car loans, etc. So it's it's a wide mix. We are a universal bank. You know, uh, I think is one of the uh, uh, the strengths we have is we have a very diversified business. Uh, the fact that, for example, coming into the crisis, we had diversification in our assets in Ireland and the UK and the rest of the world helped us. And in Ireland, a diversified book, we were overexposed in certain sectors, so we have to be careful about that. But we don't. We see certain sectors have higher potential growth. For example, agri. Um, I was at a, a conference uh, that we organised in uh, Rathcoma, County Cork, um, uh, uh, last week. We had 650 uh, existing and potential customers. We talked to them about the opportunities mm. we think are coming up in the dairy sector, but we were also wanted to be honest and saying, you know, it mightn't be for everyone, um, and that any investment decision has to be soundly based. Um, I think that um, we would see uh, a gradually improving economy, and some of that will also come from refinancing. Uh, what, what we, we, we hope that our, our our offer is quite compelling, and if customers are with other banks who they mightn't feel are as interested in new business or with banks or eggs in the market, some of it will come from that as well. And in terms of mortgages, mm. what percentage of mortgages that are approved by the bank are currently being drawn down? What's the experience? I would say roughly around about, roughly somewhere between 40 and 50%, Kieran. Um, and why is that? Um, it, seems th- a, it seems a low figure. Uh, I think customers, well, maybe, you know, you have a, a different phenomenon eight years ago, nine years ago, 10 years ago, maybe people were going and buying something and saying, maybe I should get the finance. You have that different phenomenon now. People want the certainty that they have the finance. Um, we also, if we look at it, um, uh, if we look, for example, I, I, I don't have it up to date, but uh, uh, in the second half of last year, we looked at, um, for example, the Dublin market. And uh, we give someone a mortgage approval, but obviously you also have to approve the property they eventually are buying. So a customer would have shown us in Dublin, customer would have shown us three properties with, them, with our mortgage approval saying that we think they're a good credit and they would have shown an average of three properties before the mortgage was getting drawn. Um, so some people want the comfort of knowing they have their facility. I think one of our biggest competitors, if you know, this might sound strange to say it, uh, one of our biggest competitors in the mortgage market for us at the moment is cash. Um, if we look at it, about 50% of uh, uh, properties being purchased have been purchased. Where's it coming from? Where's this cash coming from? It's, it's uh, a mixture of overseas buyers, uh, but... Uh, uh, Irish people, um, I think in particular, you did have probably some uh, buy-to-let property, etc., was being bought by mm. overseas buyers, but increasingly the phenomena, as we talk to um, um, estate agents, etc., it is Irish people using cash. Right. Now, the European Banking Authority is completing stress testing of balance sheets uh, for European mm. banks um, later this year to test their capital strength, and this will determine if if you need more capital and the parameters of the tests uh, were set out last year. I'm sure you've had an opportunity to examine what exactly they'll mean mm. for Bank of Ireland. And what everybody wants to know, I guess, is will Bank of Ireland pass or fail the right. tests? Well, if we look at it, I mean, we've been... Uh, uh, over the last five years, we've been subject to wide ranges of due diligence, of stress testing. It's a very important part of how a bank itself, a, a very significant responsibility of a board is to assess do they have enough capital 
uh, to be able to meet their business strategy. And if they don't, they must go and talk to their shareholders, either change the strategy or ask the shareholders, can we get some support? Um, we uh, had a, a very significant AQR BSA process, uh, which was part of the conditions for the uh, uh, island successfully mm. exiting from the Troika. Uh, that was a pretty comprehensive process. That was in the middle of last year. Yeah. And um, we, we recognized some of those uh, findings or issues or outcomes or observations whatever one word one wants to use uh, at our year end in terms of our uh, increasing our provision coverage, uh, uh, risk-weighted assets and expected loss technical adjustments. Mm. So those those were done at the end of the last year. We, we are still seeing some of the parameters of um, uh, we're in the process uh, with the authorities. There is a huge amount of information being uh, gathered and the process is commencing. Uh, some of the methodologies, I think, are still being slightly teased out. But as we see each each point of clarity and certainty. So, for example, last week we would have seen um, the, the economic assumptions, the macro assumptions, which is yes. always a very, very significant point. Around unemployment levels. Uh, and uh, infl- uh, you know, interest rate assumptions. Interest rate both assumptions. on the base and the stress. Uh, we assessed, we had a look at those, and we said, uh, broadly speaking, you know, obviously there'd be some slight changes. Those would be both the type of things and the type of measures. Mm. We would have used both for our base and our stress. So the macro assumptions look broadly consistent as to what we apply when we do our own turn current cap assessments. For example, um, again, when we uh, we did the capital package at the end of last year, which... Um, this is in relation to the government's preference yeah, shares. The, the raising uh, 500 million of equity and putting out the, um, uh, the preference shares, that was a deal which was heavily discussed with the central bank. Mm. Um, we needed their, their go-ahead because it was a capital action as a regulated entity, and we said that we would de-recognize the PREFs, um, the $1.3 billion in uh, 2016. So at that time, we would have very carefully run our own uh, assessment and in particular looked at a stress scenario. One of the issues for us, for example, is that we have a contingent capital instrument which goes out to 2020, uh, and that bails in, i.e. dilutes our shareholders if our core tier one capital uh, goes below 8%. So in, in making our internal assessment and in our discussions with the central bank, we would have run our own scenario mm. at that time. We would have said we probably need to to do this as a combination of remarket the prefs, agree we'd, we'd de-recognise them and raise 600 million of equity. So as you sit here today, knowing what you know about the parameters yeah. of the stress tests uh, that are going to take place this year, will Bank of Ireland pass or fail? We believe we're adequately capitalised and appropriately capitalised for our business strategy, but one can never be complacent. So you're confident that you can get past this hurdle? We can never be complacent, but we believe we're adequately capitalised. Stress testing, uh, due diligencing, it's become part of what we are over the past five years. And I think if we look at banks in the United States, banks in the UK, you know, it is a normal part of a regulatory process. I think there is a a significant degree of uh, ambition in what's trying to be done with over 120 banks on a European-wide basis. Hmm. But the ECB is determined to do it, and uh, uh, we have been able to meet all the information requirements. Like I said, we've seen the macro. We need to continue to review the methodologies, but we believe we're adequately capitalised. But one can never be uh, complacent about these issues. Yeah. Now, the government has announced plans to hold the banking inquiry, um, possibly next year, and it's going to look at uh, some of the decisions that were taken both before and after um, the collapse of the sector in uh, late 2008. What's your view on that inquiry? Do you think it'll actually tell us anything new about the collapse uh, that happened that year? Um, 
I think from from a Bank of Ireland point of view, because we've an EU restructuring plan, you know, we've clearly set out what we felt were some of the issues. We put that's in the public domain. Um, uh, but, you know, it's a government decision. The government has decided what that that it's appropriate, and we will cooperate uh, uh, with that. I mean, we engage with the governments, we engage with regulators, we engage with governments in the UK. Uh, regulators in uh, the Fed, the Bank of England, um, the ECB, the Central Bank. Um, so you know, we, 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 there are government decisions, and we we need to be. Uh, Is it an unwelcome distraction? Because presumably, it's going to take up a lot of your time and energy, and it might also harm the view that's been formed over the last, the positive view towards Ireland that's been formed over the last uh, number of months. I think you you know. Neither myself nor my colleagues can always self-select every part of the job you want to do. I mean, it's it's part of a it's part of a process. It is what it is. Uh, we need to be uh, uh, professional in our engagement. Uh, a decision has been taken that an inquiry will take place, and we need to ensure that we um, we're able to meet those needs. Now, you, as I mentioned in the intro, mm. you're the only senior executive mm. still left standing, if you like, following the purge mm. of uh, executives by the government um, post the crash in 2008. How, how did Richie Boucher survive? Um, well, the shareholders decided. You know, I mean, just being blunt, you know, I stand for election every year. The shareholders decided uh, in March 2009, as I came into the job, the vote was put to the shareholders, should I be the chief executive? So the shareholders at that time decided, and every year since they've decided, there was a fitness and probity review, as, as is well known. With the regular. Uh, mm. Very comprehensive, uh, very forensic process. took six months. It was done by external party. Um, that was part of the central bank's review as to whether I was uh, an appropriate person to do my job. And the shareholders uh, get their opportunity every year. Again, like I said, um, uh, in um, uh, last week, uh, uh, the uh, my uh, continuation as a director, continuation of my job, because I've always said I stand by the shareholders' decisions, both on my pay and on my directorship. Ninety-nine percent of the shareholders said that they wanted uh, me to stay. Sure, yeah, but let's go back to two thousand and nine. I mean, mm. it was effectively a government decision, wasn't it? Given the kind of chaos that uh, reigned at the time, and given that the the state was bailing out the sector. Um, left, right, and centre, if you like. I mean, you must have fought your corner pretty well. Um, well, I had a, I, I had a, uh, a sense of where I felt what, what we needed to do. Um, we had to put a plan to the government as to what we thought we could do, the government at that time. And, um, uh, uh, you know, like, like all the plans, you know, things, mm. things turned out somewhat differently. But we, we had an idea as to as to where we want. There, there was obviously significant change in the board and management of the bank. Um, that's an ongoing process anyway. Over the past five to six years, there's been change in board management. And uh, uh, the government had a... Uh, back in 2009, uh, the government had a right of veto uh, of the board's appointment, and the central bank had a right of veto. So if we go back to... But ultimately, it was also the board had recommended to the shareholders. So the three... Uh, inf- most significant influences, i.e. being the government, which has given the support on behalf of the taxpayers, the central bank from a regulatory process, and our shareholders decided. Do you feel vindicated now five years on, given that the bank is back in profitability, you brought uh, in external investors, you've repaid the state aid, etc. Do you feel vindicated? The way I look at these things, and that's probably a very important part of what I think is the, one of the major uh, uh, you know, challenges we have with the bank as a whole, is that uh, 
you know, all of the last five to six years, what we've done, the support we got from the taxpayer, the repayment of that support, is that's all last season, to be totally honest. You know, I, I, I think that's all last season, kind of, we've got where we are, um, we've learned a lot from that, uh, we've learned about our capabilities, we've learned on an ongoing basis, you know, what you must do better. So it is to bring us to where we are today, where the taxpayers are repaid, where we think we're adequately capitalized, where we're comfortably funding ourselves. We've kept a core infrastructure, the strategic components of our business, a very substantial business in, in Ireland, Universal Bank in Ireland, a very good proposition in the UK, in the Great Britain with the post office and with our leverage business. So we think, okay, there's, there's, there's obviously challenges. There's challenges over the next, um, always there's challenges in business, but the challenges are, I think hopefully are slightly different challenges and a new set of challenges and what I am very, very keen that no one in our bank gets kind of survivor mentality or weren't we great. You know, we have now a new set of opportunities, new set of challenges, and that's like the same with me. And I would expect the shareholders, uh, our customers and everyone will judge me uh, every year on how do we progress against those things we say we'll do. Now, one theme that comes around year after year after year is your pay, 843,000 mm. euro or thereabouts. It's above the 500 euro, uh, 500,000 mm. euro cap yeah. set down by the government. You're the only senior banker um, yeah. kind of earning that kind of uh, pay level. Accepting that it's probably below what many of your peers get in Europe, um, do you think you justify that level of salary? Because it came in for criticism at your AGM last month. A lot of small shareholders got up on their feet and gave your chairman a hard time about the level of pay that you receive, given that up to that point, up until the end of last year, the bank was still loss-making, and they had lost substantially uh, the bulk of their investments. Well, you know, I won't quibble like the, the, the total remuneration is 843, of which a significant proportion of that is uh, into the pension fund um, and reflects also, uh, uh, you know, my salary, my pension doesn't change one way or another and the pension contributions are reflective of the, the fund itself. Um, but nevertheless, the, the figure is a big figure. It's in, it's in the accounts. Um, we have 104,000 shareholders. Um, I'm not sure everyone, uh, no, you know, there were some people criticise uh, that. Um, the only way I can, our, our, our bank feels we can deal with this appropriately and transparently is put it to a vote. 99.5% uh, of the shareholders were happy uh, with what I get paid. There will be some people, whether they're shareholders or not, would be, if I got paid sixpence, some people would be saying it's too much. But do you not get fed up having to defend this every year? And have you ever considered maybe moving on and earning more money somewhere else in a different role? No, I'm, despite the challenges, like... I, I find this a, I believe in the bank, I believe in Ireland's economic recovery. It's been something that has sustained me and a lot of my colleagues over the last five to six years is that we felt we could work our way through it. We felt the economy would come through. We were able to attract investors who believed in both of those stories. Um, I, uh, I feel that, um, uh, you know, so, you know, it's like any job, you know, there's days you can you wonder you know, but you know in general terms like it's 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 a job that uh, uh, I took on. I decided I would take it on, and uh, you know we're making progress, which is always nice. Um, but even if you don't make progress, then you must continue to do your job. Um, but you know, you will always in any. M my role is a very public role. You know, I'm. 
I'm a lightning rod for the bank in some ways. Sometimes it's my job actually to, to take that, to enable my colleagues to get on with the job. Like, it is what it is. Um, I, I knew what I was letting myself in for. It is what it is. People will criticize whatever the bank or someone does. There will be some people will see it one way, other people will see it the other way. However, I do my job. Some people see it one way, some people see it the other way. And what I get paid will always be an issue. You told me back in January that mm. you get hate mail all the time. How difficult is that for you to deal with on a personal level? Look, I mean, again, it's, 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 if I look at my colleagues, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not something that keeps me awake at night, you know, uh, certainly it's something to do any kind of job, you have to be resilient, you know, like I have a background, like I joked at the time, it was probably, you know, I was brought up in mining towns, so I went to boarding school from an early age, you know, your kind of sensitivity genes kind of get dealt with in those kind of processes, um, but also, you know, Everyone has things that happen in their in their working life and the job, you know. I remember one time sitting in one of our rooms during kind of one of the more darker moments and people were talking about pressure and, you know, we kind of like we sat around and we said, listen, you know, we've got lawyers advising us, we've got accountants advising us, there's us, we can try and see how do we deal with this particular issue. But you've got someone who's running a business, you know, as a person, you know, pressure is different in different types of job. But what about the impact on your family? Because you're, mm. I mean, you're a husband and a father mm. as well. Uh, what impact does it have on your family and how do you deal with that? You do your best to shield them. You know, it's very important to us, uh, for, for, for Sandra and for our children, that we see ourselves as part of our local community in Clintoff. Um, uh, you know, my children hopefully are normal children. Uh, well, my, my, my daughter's a young adult now. She's 21. My son is 18. Um, um, I think that oh, they accept it. What can we do? <laughs> yeah. And everything you say gets scrutinized to some degree or other. I yeah. mean, in February at an IBEC conference, you were being asked about some of the decisions that Bank of Ireland made back in the boom mm-hmm. years. And um, and I think you were trying, I was there, and I think you were you were trying to just lighten the moment, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, in a Q&A with Brian Dobson. Mm-hmm. And you said, look, when there's a wild party, even the good girl gets into mm. trouble. And that got you into a little bit of trouble um, with media reports um, subsequently. I mean, how difficult is it for you to deal with that? And do you feel you have to watch every word you say? I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's important uh, that you, sometimes you can go into corporate speak and gobbledygook. Uh, or, uh, you know, you talk about ratios and core equity tier one and all that kind of thing. So, you know... Uh, and there's a danger you do that because you spend your whole time talking to investors and that too. You know, sometimes you try and do a word picture, and it sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, uh, you, you you don't intentionally intend to offend any people. Some other people saw the analogy quite in a different way. Um, like if you had to watch everything you always said and everything you did, you'd never do anything. Uh, you know, it's it's. The safest thing for me to do is is read prepared skips, corporate scripts, and all that kind of thing. But you have to try and draw a picture to people who's trying to understand where you see things. I mean, again, like for example, in two thousand and nine, you know, I felt for quite, I felt I should be the one who writes the letter, the, the update to the staff. Like, you know, I had other people who who who, who you know out of very good intentions, were giving me scripts and, you know, storyboards and that. And I said, no, I personally must write to the staff. I must tell them about the challenges we have, uh, what are the issues that we have to face. Um, I'm, I am the CEO, so part of 
that and sometimes you know I look back on some of the things you wrote and you'd say yeah it's not even good English but you have to kind of try and portray what you do and uh, yeah if every everything I do every word I'd, I I say gets gets scrutinized but you know either uh, our son is doing the leaving and you're looking at you know Macbeth and if Shakespeare ever knew the interpretations everyone is putting on every word that goes into one of his plays you know no, you're obviously a very good salesman because uh, you managed to sell Bank of Ireland as an investment mm. to two very mm. high-profile external international investors, Wilbur Ross and, and Prem Watson. And I've heard a nice story about you um, presenting Wilbur Ross with a, a Leinster jersey at one of his kind of CEO gatherings that he has mm. uh, every year. Do you want to just uh, perhaps tell us a little bit about the background to that? Well, on, on the sales side, um, you have to have some. You know, you have to have something you can actually sell. Um, mm. You know, I think that the investors at that time were seeing a potential recovery in the Irish economy and they saw a lot of what we'd been able to achieve in the bank and where the future was. So no matter how good a salesman are, you have to have actually a good product. And I felt we we had a good product in, in Ireland, uh, potential recovery and the bank's recovery. Uh, yeah, like after the recap, we uh, you know we were just trying to mark the occasion for some of the key investors and uh, we got, we were sponsors of uh, Leinster Rugby. Uh, we are still and we sponsor Monster Rugby now. Um, and... Uh, we just thought making it, you know, what you give a billionaire. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Mr. Ross was, was quite touched. Apparently, he really enjoyed rugby. And uh, and he actually put the jersey on, uh, I'm told. Yeah, yeah, he did. And it had Ross on the back. Yeah. Was it Ross or Wilbur? Yeah. Or? Uh, Ross. Ross. Um, so, I mean, it was a nice touch. Um, you does know. he still have the jersey, do you know? Uh, I, th- I think he does. I haven't checked, but I know I know he liked it. Um, uh, and, um, you know, he's been... Uh, um, Mr. Ross, Mr. Watts, uh, all of our other shareholders have been supportive. You know, I'm sure now I'll get uh, 104,000 shareholders writing to me and saying, "Why didn't I get a Leinster jersey or a Munster jersey or an Ulster jersey?" But <laughs> give us your salesman pattern now. If I was moving to Ireland for the first time yeah. and I didn't know anything about the Irish banking sector, but I have to open a bank account, yeah. why would I choose uh, Bank of Ireland over one of your rivals? What I think is that um, first of all, we've been around a long time. Uh, that's not necessarily a reason to do something, but we have an intention to stay. Uh, we uh, anything we say we do we've thought carefully what we do how we'll do it we have capital funding we have invested heavily even though we reduced our cost by 500 million we've invested heavily in ensuring we have a branch infrastructure we have an IT infrastructure and we have people who want who need your business like our business needs your business as a customer we will give you a good service we will be transparent about what you pay for that service what your expectations should be about that service um, and uh, we will also be able to follow you uh, with uh, through your whole financial life cycle and lifestyle. Um, we won't force you to buy product. Obviously, we can't. But we will come to uh, uh, products which we hope will attract you and where you can deal with one bank for all of your financial needs. Now, you're 56 later this mm. year. Um, you've been CEO of the bank for the past five years. It's been a really busy time for you. How much longer do you see yourself in this job? I think you. I think the minute you start asking your, if you ever ask yourself a question like that in any job, then you probably must. You've you've actually answered the question in your own right. Um, I see that the last five years, like the support we got from a lot of people, uh, the taxpayers, the shareholders, the funding markets, most of all my colleagues in the bank, or not most of all, but like a very important, like the commitment of the people we have in the bank has been tremendous. If I look at the last five years, the people in the bank have disappointed me. I could count on the fingers of hands. People who have outperformed have been extraordinary. And I see it 
as that we all of that was to bring us where we are today there's opportunity for us that we challenge an opportunity i find this a very invigorating job and uh, so i'll be here for a while and what would you like to achieve over the next few years i would like to us to be uh, to avail of the opportunity i think we have a once in a generation opportunity to position bank of ireland as being even as other banks emerge from uh, uh, being nationalized or restructure make the progress we have to be the preeminent bank for years to come i'd like our customers to be with us because they want to be with us not because they have to i want our staff to be proud of the bank i want our shareholders to make money um but it really is the vision of of i think ireland will has had a hugely challenging time but the nation is coming through at a different pace for different people so it's it's a great opportunity and i i would love to say that any management team you know do you want to be remembered as like you know eps move from you know 31 to 33 or were you part of a problem i was uh, have we worked hard to solve the issues we have worked very hard we got support and now the next stage is do you avail of the opportunity would you like to facilitate the sale of the state's 14% shareholding and the return of bank of ireland if you like to a normalized public listing but, as you had before the crisis what we'd like to do is increase and continue to increase the value of the company um and we increase the value of the company by uh, ensuring that we have more customers buying more products on an efficient basis of us uh increasing the value of the company then makes people shareholding more valuable and they will look at it at some stage but the government the government share the preference things like preference shares the contingent capital instrument and those they were state aid so uh, we had uh, uh, a moral and i think financial obligation to repay those as quickly as possible the shareholding is a discretionary shareholding on behalf of the state and the state will make its own decisions my job for all of the shareholders including the state is to make the company more valuable than it is today mm. and what do you hope your legacy will be I hope that uh, the legacy will be not just for me because you know sometimes this you know even to be honest doing interviews like this you know you always feel like it you know there's much much more to Bank of Ireland than Richie Boucher you know if you hope <laughs> and you know I'm sure of it it's it's you know every one of us whatever role in life we have you know we are custodians for a period of time uh myself and my colleagues were custodians for this generation and do we hand on uh, do we hand on something that's better and i would like us to be the pre to emerge from a crisis and over the next 5 years to to meet the needs and to be the preeminent bank in Ireland and i'd like us to be our, our team to be known for that Richie Boucher, thank you for joining us. That's it for this week. The producer of the show was Sinead O'Shea. James Davis was the sound engineer. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the show for free on iTunes. I'm Kieran Hancock. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 